Hello and welcome to Drinking Matters. In this episode, Dr. Kumin looks at the agents and interests that owned, ran, used, supplied and regulated drinking establishments. The people who ran public houses were as varied as uh, their respective establishments. Some of them made a deliberate choice to be publicans because they fancied social mobility, because they thought this would be a lucrative type of employment. Other people were literally forced to sell alcohol because it proved to be the only way in which they could gain a little bit of additional income. So you find everything from poor widows, typically the English alewives, right up to absolute members of urban and rural elites who became something like... um, leaders in their respective uh, communities. The job profile, uh, as present-day publicans will confirm, is rather challenging. It's uh, something that requires people management skills, that requires a commercially astute mind, and it involves the risk of bankruptcy, because sometimes we're talking large amounts of capital if you have major premises, if you have a lot of employees, if you have a a large wine cellar, etc., etc. So it's not perhaps as easy as um, some people imagined, and some indeed found it rather too challenging. But on the other hand, it's also a trade which is disproportionately prosperous. Many people could actually make a very decent living out of selling alcohols. Um, When we look at them socially, then in towns, typically publicans, we would find just below the absolute elites of patricians, but above normal craftsmen and uh, workers. So that gave them something of a social clout in their respective communities. We see that in their inventories, where they have um, holdings and furnishings that are of an elite um, orientation. We find them marrying people of uh, rather better social groups. We find them holding key offices, etc., etc. They became something like brokers because they had all these contacts in their communities, because they had all this financial clout. They could perhaps engage in a role that linked people with each other, a role that could see certain social and cultural trends, so enabling them to play a rather disproportionate role in their respective communities. Like their profile, their reputation was somewhat varied as well. Very often they were accused of being greedy or being fraudsters, extortioning and uh, cheating people. But in reality, they had to negotiate uh, quite a few different pressures operating upon themselves. They were governed by very clear legal rules. They had to um, meet with the authorities' approval. At the same time, they had to make a profit out of their commercial operations. They had to meet the highly variable demand from their patrons. So negotiating all these different pressures, I think, needed a certain amount of skill. And not all of them who entered the trade found that they could actually make this work for themselves. It was commercially risky in the sense that uh, you could end up with a lot of... um, provisions uh, if demand uh, suddenly fluctuated, if a war break out, broke out or if a, um, a sort of a plague occurred, you could find yourself uh, effectively isolated. So trade could fluctuate very dramatically. It was uh, a matter of um, being, I suppose, uh, 
ideally equipped for uh, demand at a specific time. Sometimes war broke out in communities, which led to a total collapse of, of customers. Sometimes plague broke out, which forced the authorities to close off a town. And if you then ended up with lots and lots of provisions, uh, people to pay for who were working for you, then you could find it very difficult indeed. Otherwise, you could pretty well be sure that there was a basic demand in normal circumstances that would be there. People would have to seal many of their social interactions with a drink at the tavern. So business people would come and celebrate their contracts. Uh, people would get married. There would have to be baptism um, festivities. There would be leisure time drinking by workmen in the evening. So you could assume that there would be a basic demand there. But if you happen to sort of get the, the sort of relationship between provisions and uh, demand wrong, then it could be disastrous indeed. The pattern of ownership uh, of public houses is, is rather complex. It's often actually layered in, in different um, ways. On the one hand, you have indeed people who are operating from their private dwellings in their own capacity and for their own as it were, benefit. But very often other people were involved and provided the original capital and investments. So social elites, even nobility, would sometimes own public houses, but, but they would never operate in them themselves. They would therefore have tenants and subtenants which uh, operated the premises in return for a certain rent or in return for a certain fixed wage. So it made a big difference whether you actually faced the owner of an establishment or just one of um, the tenants or the people who'd taken out a lease on the premises. So sometimes you have a nobleman as the overall owner. You then have a tenant, perhaps a, a member of the urban elite, who would have um, got the right to operate the licensed premises, but then in turn would employ a subtenant to actually stand in the guest lounges and serve the drink. So... Uh, a bit of a hierarchy sometimes involved in the trade as well. One interesting aspect for us, of course, is to examine the patrons of these uh, establishments who actually went uh, for a drink at taverns, inns and alehouses. And very often uh, the impression is that of a rather restricted clientele, namely essentially men from lower social groups. That's certainly true at some uh, periods in, in, in some environments. But once we look beyond a restricted range of establishments, we find that uh, the clientele is rather diverse and perhaps as diverse as early modern society as a whole. In many communities, social drinking was part of civic culture of the middling sort, that is the respectable householders as well as the poorer members of society. Attendance in public houses was almost a duty. You would be suspicious if you excluded yourself deliberately from uh, conviviality at the local pub. And therefore you would find in their craftsmen, you would find in their merchants as well as laborers, of course, perhaps in different types of establishments, but certainly as patrons of public houses as well. Noblemen and um, members of the absolute urban elites, perhaps a bit less conspicuous, but when traveling, for instance, even gentlemen, even members of the aristocracy 
frequently had to use inns along major highways and that then made for some interesting encounters where people across the cultural spectrum met in drinking houses, perhaps sitting in different lounges or at different tables, but nevertheless interacting in ways in which they normally wouldn't have. And again, that makes public houses a rather fascinating um, social site to look at uh, interaction that we may not have believed existed at the time. Perhaps surprisingly, the environment that turns out to be most open and uh, equipped to accommodate the most diverse number and profile of customers is the major inn on a sort of rural transit route because there there was no alternative for staying overnight so everybody that happened to pass by had to um, stay at this particular public house which meant that you could literally encounter vagabonds uh, perhaps sleeping in the stables uh, up to um, passing aristocracy who would hope for a, a suite or a, certainly a large room of their own and in contrast in urban settings because of the sheer number of customers and the availability of many different premises of different quality you could find specialized targeted premises that would be suitable let's say for a sort of middling sort um, workman environment or then who would cater in the back street alleyways for rather lower members of the community whereas on the main market square the best local inn would then be the natural calling point for all distinguished visitors. So in urban environments are rather more targeted, there are rather more specialized infrastructure. In major inns along rural transit routes, perhaps the most diversified, the most colorful picture that we get. One of the most dramatic findings perhaps of recent research has been the sort of reallowance of women into the world of the tavern. For a long period, scholars were convinced that the public house, because of its nature, because of the rowdy exchanges, because of the prominence of alcoholic drinks, would be less suitable for members of social elites as well as less uh, suitable for, for women who would find this rather um, uncomfortable and unpleasant an environment to be in. But um, both on the continent and in England, I think, we are now aware that there were quite a number of contexts in which women could attend the premises legitimately and indeed did so in large numbers and with great enthusiasm. Typically, for instance, uh, and rather touchingly, many couples seem to have spent uh, a leisurely evening drink together in the imperial free city of Augsburg, one of the biggest cities at the time. It seems to have been perfectly customary for men to take their wives out to the pub and share a sort of drink um, in, the, in their leisure time. We find other legitimate contexts for female attendance, for instance, at major feast days, uh, popular seasonal festivals, or rites of passage like weddings and baptisms. Often that will be marked by public dancing, and it's not much fun having a dance event without women, so we find them clearly present on such occasion. But also on business um, uh, for instance, as petty traders, uh, women selling particular um, items, peddlers, uh, women offering services of washing, baking and sewing, they would find a sort of a natural clientele in public houses and would come there to look for customers. We shouldn't forget also that many premises were run by women, uh, 
um, perhaps up to 20% of establishments in certain areas were under the guidance of a woman. Again, a rare thing to have in pre-modern societies where men were meant to control economic operations and indeed many of the waitresses and servants were female. So the female presence in public houses was rather larger than we used to think. The authorities in early modern Europe were very um, differentiated. We have secular authorities like princes, like noblemen, like town councils. On the one hand, we then have ecclesiastical authorities like bishops or monasteries. On the other hand, and all of them, without exception, took a great interest in the world of the tavern and usually a critical and very worried interest in the world of the tavern. Right uh, from manorial lords and urban councils up to territorial monarchs, Everybody felt that these were environments of a potentially disruptive character, environments that could cost their subjects a lot of money, environments which could stop them from working, environments which could lead them into temptation and cause all sorts of moral problems. So from about the um, later Middle Ages, there is a lot of legislation, a lot of statutes and mandates are passed to regulate the world of the tavern, to restrict opening hours, to make sure that provisions would be um, adequate, to make sure that uh, people of a suspect, of a suspected or suspicious character would be monitored very carefully and this created a flood of rules which every publican had to keep in mind when they were operating their premises. The main perhaps point of worry for them was the moral and financial um, consequences that excessive tavern frequentation could have for men and women in the period. But they also had to acknowledge, and that's perhaps their sort of great conflict of interest, that uh, for many uh, reasons, taverns were absolutely indispensable, not just for early modern society, but also for early modern states and early modern finances. In some towns, for instance, of the Holy Roman Empire, up to 50-60% of total urban income derived from the sale of alcohol, indirect taxes as a pillar of state finance. Authorities were aware that people needed to relax, that people needed to have spaces where they could interact, where they could be convivial. They also realized that it would be better to direct strangers to particular public premises where they could be surveyed, where they could be registered and listed, rather than having them stay in hidden away uh, dwellings, in private accommodation where such uh, strangers could be monitored much less effectively. Early modern historians in general find a vast uh, gulf between the official laws that are passed in ever-growing numbers and the actual enforcement on the ground. And this has a lot of different reasons. On the one hand, there was no police state to, to talk of. There were hardly any bureaucrats and officials to look after the enforcement of all these laws. But in the public house context in particular, some of the laws were also very much at odds with popular culture. Some of these laws were impinging on people's spare time. They were impinging on some of the leisure pursuits they acknowledged and appreciated, like dancing, like gaming, like smoking tobacco, like having a drink, like excessive, at least occasional overindulgence. So there was a real 
clash of cultures there, which led to a negotiation between publicans, patrons and authorities. And eventually what would happen in the world of the tavern was very much a sort of watered down dialogue uh, rather than a one to one enforcement of what had been legislated at the top of society. Concern about excessive alcohol consumption is almost like a human constant. Uh, wherever you look in recent or less recent European history, you find authorities and churchmen being very concerned about the effects of drinking wine, beer and spirits, although the prime reasons for doing so, the prime reasons for burying seem to vary. If it was religion in the 16th century, that is the concern about incurring God's wrath, uh, about uh, dissolute and immoral behavior, which was very much pushed by the Reformation, this upheaval of religious life, which led to lots and lots of conflicts in local society. Concerns became more economic in the 18th century, the so-called Age of the Enlightenment, where rulers were worried about uh, irrational and uneconomic um, lifestyles of their subjects, so a more, if you wish, pragmatic concern about alcohol consumption. And today, of course, concern is very much prompted by medical and social reasons. Uh, there are health risks, as we know now, associated with excessive alcohol consumption. We fear that some of our inner cities become no-go areas. Uh, but um, whether the 16th century, whether the 20th century or even present-day culture, alcohol doesn't seem to go away as a subject of, of public debate and indeed of authority concern. I mean, historians find lots of colourful evidence about patron behaviour in their sources. It was an environment where you felt you were perhaps a little bit freer than elsewhere. It was an environment where dancing, gaming, social interaction was encouraged uh, and therefore there's uh, a lot of episodes that uh, make for rather entertaining reading. I mean in one particular uh, rural inn in the Bernese countryside we have two women standing accused of encouraging male patrons to perform something like an early Chippendale act by taking their clothes off and entertaining all the um, drinkers at the time when they're then cited in front of the local consistory. The minister, of course, confronts them with they. They first pretend to have nothing to do with this particular episode, but eventually one agrees uh, that she may have encouraged one of the men to do that, but then, of course, she turned her face when the actual act happened. So she got away with a small fine and a sort of severe reprimand. In Bavarian public houses, there's a lot of anti-clerical um, banter going um, on with a couple of peasants in a in a market town being uh, charged with accusing the Jesuits of coming straight from the devil. We have in Bavaria as well uh, publicans who open their windows on a Sunday morning when they see people going to a church and shouting out that their premises are much more comfortable that there is rather more entertaining fare to be had than in the parish church down the road so there's a lot of, of that sort of thing going on but I think that has to be kept in perspective and while there's a lot of um, dissolution there's also a lot of, of genuine sort of social cementing that is going on on 
in, in, in these premises. So for us, it's a sort of a, a task and a challenge perhaps to balance the sort of colourful with the... Um, with the sort of um, social and uh, convivial, in a sense, that allows us to, to, to sort of place all these um, episodes in perspective. Dr. Kumin's book, Drinking Matters, Public Houses and Social Exchange in Early Modern Central Europe, is now available. This podcast was produced for the University of Warwick by Tom Abbott. The music was written and performed by Sean and Dylan Owen.